Hi, and welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, and I'm founder of the Transforming Center, and I'm here with Steve Weens, senior pastor of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alumni, which means we spend a lot of time laughing, growing, and being transformed in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. Hey everybody, welcome to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast with Ruth Haley Barton. We're in season two, Life Together in Christ, Cultivating Communities for Spiritual Transformation. Hi Ruth. Good to be with you again, Steve. Oh, it's always good to be with you. This episode is finding our story in the story. So uh, as we always do, please locate us in the story of the Emmaus Road. Yes. So the two disciples are walking together. They've talked about all these things that have happened. They welcome Jesus to be with them. Uh, Jesus' restraint in terms of not um, assuming that he knew what they were going through gave them the space to tell their story. They got to the bottom of the fact that they had hoped for something that was very different than what they were now experiencing. And after Jesus had listened for a while and just been with them in their sadness, then he finally very gently begins to talk with them about a spiritual perspective. And he offers them this perspective on the spiritual journey, which is that it always involves death, burial, and, and resurrection. And that there's there's a suffering that goes along with that, but it's something that purifies us. And God uses that to remove what is no longer needed in our lives. And then um, up until this point, there hasn't been any reference to the scriptures, even though these would have all been, you know, Jews who believed in, in the Old Testament, the Torah. But now Jesus decides that it's the right moment to locate what they've been going through in the larger story of what God has been doing throughout history. And it says in scripture that he actually began to open the scriptures to them and that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, in other words, using the Torah, using their scripture, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And so he actually began to reveal to them that what they were experiencing, which felt very personal to them, was actually part of something bigger that God had been doing throughout uh, history, and that was his redemptive work, and uh, that the Messiah would come, and the Messiah would suffer, and the Messiah would die. And so he actually placed their small story, what felt to them like just their own small intimate story, in the context of this larger story of what God had been doing down throughout history. And I have to say, Steve, that to me that is one of the most life-giving things that somebody can do for us when we are in the midst of suffering, is to be able to somehow locate what we're going through in the bigger story of what God might be doing, not only in, in human history, that might be a bit grandiose, but even the bigger story of what God might be doing in our own lives, that they can actually name the trajectory of what God's been doing in our lives and saying, I can really see how this fits in the overall picture of what God's doing in your life. And even though it's been hard, it's exciting to see that it's not just this one-off weird thing that happened that has no meaning, but it actually has huge meaning because it's a piece of the larger story of what God has been doing throughout human history, but also what God is doing in our own lives. And so in, in, in a very real way, we are finding our story in his story, history, you know, yeah. the big history of what God's done. We're finding that we're a part of that story. It's very exciting. It is very exciting. I remember when you led us through that in the early uh, communities uh, or the early uh, weekend retreats in the transforming communities. And you invited us uh, on several different occasions to try uh, to locate our story of what's mm -hmm. currently happening right now in one of the stories in the scriptures. Or to locate, let God locate us, you know, let God guide us into the place in the story where our story is being told. 
No, yeah. I, I like controlling it. So I, I can, know. So I you can... want to go find it and yeah, make it work for you. But no, we're asking God to find to help us find ourselves in the story. It actually reminds me of this. I was in this really cool uh, event, and they were asking us to try to locate our names, mm-hmm. right? To try to find our names that God has really given us. Mm-hmm. And what what do you think it is? And of course, all of us were, you know, they were all men. Yeah, yeah so you're tearing all, your hair out trying to find it. <laughs> no, no, we all knew. It was all Braveheart, oh, yeah. Aragorn. Oh, I it was see. all yes, the, you know, so like, yes. and those are great. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, but, but, it probably, you know, like, like not all of us were, were William Wallace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> so actually, I'm glad you, I'm, I'm glad you clarified mm-hmm. that, is that God will lead us to the story that we are actually living in. Mm-hmm. So um, you, and you just mentioned it, you write about how stories are different than history. And you say that stories aren't meant to be argued with, judged, or dismissed. They're meant to be received. So how do we learn to receive stories versus arguing with them? Uh, and you write about this in your book mm-hmm. so beautifully. So talk about it. I, th- I mean, I think it is simply the, the change in perspective that you've just stated, you know, that that rather than thinking about what we're going to say next in response to that person's story, we receive it as the gift that it is and we let its meaning stand uh for what it is, especially what the meaning is for them. You know, we could we could violate them by placing our own meaning on their story, but it's it's also the meaning that God's unfolding for them yeah. as as their story unfolds. And I I think in the end the most valuable thing we have to offer one another in terms of mutual influence is our stories. Yeah. If we're willing to share our stories with each other and be impacted by them rather than arguing with them, um, or trying to make them mean something that we'd rather they meant, you know, um, <laughs> make them fit into our concepts and, and our cognitive categories, but uh, to receive story as a gift and to let it stand and let it be what the story is for them, um, I think is a, is a very beautiful gift. And that story then becomes a gift uh, to us. Can you give an example of a time in your own life, Ruth? where you felt like you found your story in the story of the scriptures? Yes, and um, we talked about this in the last season when we talked about scripture. So I do want to make a bit of a distinction between um, finding our story in his story, which would be the main story that tells the, the fundamental essential story of our lives. And I mentioned in that, in that episode that um, I have found myself in many stories in yeah. scripture, but there's one story that really tells the bigger story of my life. Um, but one place that I have found myself profoundly in scripture would be the story of Elijah. We've, we talked about that in the last season where uh, at, a, at a particular time in my life when I was particularly exhausted and depleted and questioning my life in ministry that God drew me into the story of Elijah. And I lived in that story. I found myself there and stayed there and lived there and let that story inform me and guide me for a very long time. Um, it's the same with the story of Moses. You know, I've, I was guided into that story and I've lived there and I've written out of that place, but mostly it informed how to live my life in leadership. That's what that story did. And so as a leader, I find myself in that story still, you know, that that story tells the big story of what leadership actually is. So in this case, you know, Jesus is helping these disciples find this traumatic experience that they've had of witnessing the death of their loved one and their friend and their teacher. He's helping them to find their story and the larger story that's that's being written, you know, by God in history. Ruth, what's the difference between 
helping someone find, uh, especially when it's suffering, their story within the larger story Mm -hmm. versus explaining away their suffering with spiritualizing Mm -hmm. Bible verses and Bible stories? Well, oh, well, that's a good question, because for one thing, I am not going to always say that any of us are as good as Jesus. You know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure that any of us should do exactly what Jesus did, Right. which was he got pretty involved with telling them where they were in the story. I'm not sure I would exactly do that, um, but I might encourage them to seek out where they might be in scripture. Or I, or we, I guess we could say, you know, your story reminds me yeah. of a story in scripture. Like as you're sitting here talking, I'm strongly reminded or God's really bringing to mind this story. And I wonder if it has any relevance here. We could do that. We need to be very, very gentle and we need to not make the interpretations ourselves. I think we need to stop right there. I don't think we go on and make the application and the interpretations for them. We actually let them enter into into the story if they want to. And then we let them find the applications and the meanings in that story that might be relevant. We're faithful to offer up what God might have given us as a gift but we don't do too much with it in terms of orchestrating what they find. Yeah. Well said. To be very careful. Well said. Uh, Jesus. And in this one, in this Emmaus Rose story, I think he was doing this. He often tried to help his disciples understand that they weren't victims of forces Mm -hmm. beyond their control, uh, but they were valued participants in this ongoing story that was actually hadn't ended. Even though he was speaking from the Torah, uh, it seems like he understood it as if it was continuing. Um, so what does it mean to be a participant or an even co-creator in an in the ongoing story of God? I think it has to do with continuing to seek out the presence of Jesus, you know, in that place and to hear Jesus inviting us and to respond. And in that way, uh, we are actually participating in the story rather than being controlled by the story that, that there's, um, a place for us to listen and discern Christ's presence and to hear Christ's invitations to us in that place and then to respond faithfully and also to respond in a way that's uniquely us. So Jesus isn't inviting us to be anybody else but who we are. And so as we participate in the story, we're going to be participating as our most authentic selves, not as um, some kind of a wooden character in the story. Yes. So our participation in the story is going to make it unique, you know, to us. Now, if the Bible is an instruction manual for living, it's a little more difficult to enter in as a co-creator. Mm-hmm. So talk just just quickly, talk about how it's important how we see the scriptures. Mm-hmm. If we see them one way, it's going to be, we're going to find ourselves participating mm-hmm. more easily than another way. Mm-hmm. So um, do you know what I mean by that? Like, certainly you've, you've heard the Bible as instruction manual. Right, exactly. Um, well, what's interesting, I think, about this whole exercise of finding ourselves in the story or this invitation to find ourselves in the story is that we find ourselves in that story, but then that story begins to unfold uniquely as our story. You know, so I remember one person sharing with me um, that when I led in, in this process of finding ourselves in the story, they were disturbed to find themselves as the older brother in the prodigal son story. And that that didn't seem to have a very good ending for right, the older right, son. You know, right. the, older, the, older, the older son doesn't come out very well in that story and uh, seems to be almost nameless and faceless and there's not a lot of conclusion. 
that's good for that character of the biblical story. And yet they were pretty certain that that was where they were in the story. And so the only thing I knew to say back to them was to say that um, you, you, you need to let Jesus continue to, to tell that story in and through your life. Your, your experience is going to complete that story um, in a way that it hasn't been completed yet. So it's a little, it might seem a little mystical, but I think that's what we have to be open to is that, that that story shows us the meaning of our lives, and then God continues to lead us in living in our story. And that story begins to inform, you know, how we how we live our life here on this earth. And, and we, in some way, uh, complete the story and learn the further conclusions of the story by living it, you know? Yes. And I do think, this sounds like a weird connection, but in that way, the Bible as the authoritative mm-hmm. inspired word of God even gets more majestic, mm-hmm. bigger, gets more expansive yeah. when we realize, oh my, mm-hmm. like I can enter into it and then God can bring me somewhere, mm-hmm. maybe even that a character of scripture couldn't go. They couldn't, yeah, they they didn't come, that story didn't com- get yeah. completed to its very best end in that character's story, but you know, we continue to live that particular story because I think that the scriptures are always functioning on two levels. You know, there is the concrete reality of the story as it unfolded in that person's life in that day and time. But then so many of the stories in scripture are all, they also function metaphorically in that they tell an essential aspect of the spiritual life. And so I've said this many times when I teach that, um, in the story of Elijah, where he comes to the cave. I believe there was a real cave, but I also think it was a metaphor for the soul, for the deep inside place that we can all access when we get quiet enough to do so. I talk about the, the fire, the earth, the wind and the fire that were real. I believe they were real, you know, elemental chaos that God stirred up, but it's also a metaphor for something that happens to all of us. And so when we can see the scriptures functioning on both of those levels at once, it opens up a great deal of possibility. It is concrete. It is historically real and accurate. I believe that. On the other hand, it's also a metaphor that provides us insight about what happens in our spiritual lives, and it's that part that we actually enter into and continue to live and bring more more meaning to. I like that we don't have to choose. Right. Is it yes. metaphor or literal? Yeah, it's both. it's both. It's both. It can function on both levels. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. Well, you know, think about Narnia. Think about, yeah. you know, C.S. Lewis. It was, it was a story. It was a fantasy. But it was also functioning on this whole other level, and neither one is any less real. Why do we have such a hard... I, okay, I'm, I'm going to move on to the yeah. next question, but I, this is a comment. Yeah, but it's go a right question. ahead. Why do, we, why do we feel like, especially in the Christian tradition, why do we feel like we have to choose? It's got to mm-hmm. be either all literal and yeah. only literal, or all metaphor, yeah. and it's just squishy, it feels weird, and you right. can make it whatever you want it to make it. Yeah. Why, why well, do you I mean, I just think it's it's our discomfort with mystery. You know, the fact that opening up the idea of of the scriptures functioning on both of these levels opens us up to mystery and a continual unfolding. Um, and, and yet, I believe the scriptures were inspired back when they were written and captured by the people who God chose to write them down, and they continue to be inspired in our lives, that the, the, the Holy Spirit continues to breathe the Word of God through our lives in very unique ways. And every time we read the scriptures, they are inspired. And there's no other book about, there's no other book about which we would say that, you know, but the scriptures right. are uniquely inspired when they were written and continue to be inspired to us now. That's exciting to me. It is. Oh, yeah. It makes the scriptures alive to yes. us. 
yes. and an opportunity for new things all the time. Beautiful. Well, uh, I get a chance to hang out with this Jewish rabbi, and he says the scriptures really happened, mm-hmm. and they're still happening, Yeah, and they will happen. Mm-hmm. How do you react yeah. to that? Well, I think... Um, He's talking about the word, right? Yeah. The, in, the, in the best sense of the, the we, you know, in the New Testament language, this language of the word made flesh, that in our Christian belief, the word is not words on a page exclusively, that in our, in our Christian understanding, the word is a person, yes. and that person is Jesus, and that person is alive and active in our lives now and alive and active in the church now. So um, that's a part of what I understand about it, that the, the scriptures are the word, uh, continually being inspired for us, and um, I remember when I was first led in this in this experience with my friend Adele Calhoun. Um, she she made the statement. She said, "We are a word of God too." You know that God is authoring our lives. God is writing God's history in and through our lives, and we are a word of God too. And I love that idea that God is still speaking in and through the lives of each of us as we, you know, as we live our lives. In his presence. Um, can I read from Bonhoeffer? Please. Because Bonhoeffer is really resonating with what your rabbi talks about. When he talks about our common life under the word, he says that when we find ourselves in the biblical record of God's saving work, we become a part of what once took place for our salvation. Forgetting and losing ourselves, we too pass through the Red Sea, through the desert, across the Jordan, and into the Promised Land. With Israel, we fall into doubt and unbelief, and through punishment and repentance, we experience God's help and faithfulness. All of this is not mere reverie, but holy, godly reality. So he's talking about reality on more than one level, too. Right, right. Uh, history, but happening now. We are torn out of our own existence and set down in the midst of the holy history of God on earth. So it's alive then, and it's alive for us now. It is mystical, but I believe it's true, and I believe it's real. Um, in and through the Word, uh, you know, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, presence with us on the earth. Okay, confession time. Mm-hmm. Most of us Protestants have made an idol of the Bible. Uh, the Bible's the, you know, the the paper pope, I've, I've heard it called. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so much so that we miss encountering the word himself, mm-hmm. Jesus, um, within the word. Why is this? And so, first of all, why is that? Well, because we're Protestants. We protest. Yes, we protest. We're known by what we're against. And, and because the Protestant movement emerged out of being against something and abuses, real abuses, um, our dogma and our religious beliefs and how we articulate those theologically become very important to us and give us structure for the way that we think and teach and live and and do what we do. And so I think, as with everything that is a strength, it can actually become a weakness over time. So those things that I just mentioned are strengths of the Protestant tradition. Like I talked to Catholic friends, and they actually wish they had the biblical literacy that Protestants have, given the emphasis that we've had on the Word, and being taught the Word, and the preached Word, and, and, all, of, on, and all of that. So they recognize that that's part of what they're missing. Part of what we're missing is that we threw out the sacramental approach to life. We threw out this mystical reality of the sacrament of the word um, and the sacrament of, you know, of our some of the sacraments of our faith, the rituals that have so much meaning. And so I think for those of us who are Protestants to come back to a place of reclaiming some of what we threw out when we distance ourselves from the Catholic tradition is actually really healthy. And it, it uh, brings about a sort of integrated 
experience where we are now fully integrating what we what we threw out, what we rejected in our past. We're now bringing it back, but bringing it back in its best iteration. And I think we need to we need to really confront the way in which we worship the the biblical word. Um, sometimes to the exclusion of some of the other ways in which God wants to speak and work in our lives, like how God wants to speak and work through the real presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives now. I like the word integrated. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, thank you for that. So talk a little bit about, you write about this, you teach about this quite a lot, the difference between reading the Bible for information versus transformation. Yeah. Well, when we read for information, we're in that very heady place um, where we're just trying to learn more about things. And at some point, we need to come to grips with the fact that learning more about somebody or learning more about something is not the same thing as um, really knowing that person and being influenced by that person, having our lives shaped by our relationship with that person. And so when we are so intent on just gaining information and learning things that we can pare it back in a test or in a sermon or something like that, or fill in the blanks in the inductive Bible study, you know, that we all know how to do. Um, we might discover that though we have missed changing at all, that we can know a lot about scripture and not have changed one whit. And right. that is really alarming when we see that happening, that I can spout Bible verses to you, that I can um, have spout, correct doctrine, have very correct doctrine, and I can spout theological arguments really well. But I have not been changed. I'm actually arrogant and ego-driven and selfish and self-centered and competitive. And none of that's changed. And unaware of it. Yeah, and unaware of it. But I have a lot of information. That is a really alarming place for us as Protestants, I think. And, um, and we also realize that our hearts are empty. That we're not being moved to intimacy and relationship with this God who loves us and that we love. And our souls are empty, even though we've got heads full of information. Um, that's a sobering moment, and it's an important moment. And because we talked about it more on a personal level in the last season, what I want to say here is that transforming communities are learning how to move beyond just information gathering and are learning how together to be transformed in the presence of Christ and being with Scripture in a way that allows Jesus Christ to have direction, give direction to our lives together. I like what you said a couple of minutes ago about how the Bible was inspired when it was written, but it's still inspired mm -hmm. when we read it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it reminds me of, um, so uh, if you meet someone who has just fallen in love, you know, mm -hmm. you always say, well, you know, tell me about mm -hmm. Ruth. Oh my gosh, tell mm -hmm. me about her. And if you said, well, she's 5'4", mm -hmm. and right. um, she graduated from Wheaton College, Wheaton College mm -hmm. and she's you know, got brown eyes mm -hmm. and, and, and you were very, blue. you know, blue eyes. Sorry. Well, we've been looking at each other now for days, Steve. Tell me I've got blue eyes. <laughs> He's not very observant, this one right here. <laughs> I actually jumped to meta. Yes, okay, yes. I was out I, of the I, conversation. I see that now. I see what you're doing now. I, I, I jumped to meta. Mm -hmm. um, but, but. Like, we wouldn't do that, you And that would be so boring yeah. and lifeless, and you wonder, are you really in love with that person if you're just, like, giving me yeah. this whole string of information and there's no passion, there's no excitement, there's, you know, nothing like that? Are you even really in love, we might wonder, Yeah, you know? To which someone might say, and and, and now I'm really getting meta, mm -hmm. love? Well, mm -hmm. I don't need to, I, don't need, I, I just need to know mm -hmm. about right. this know, person. who this person yeah. is. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I need to know that mm -hmm. she went to Wheaton College and she was mm -hmm. born on this date and that she's 5'4". I mean, yeah. that's what's important. Yeah. And then you would, look, you, you, you would go, no, no, mm -hmm. no, yeah. no. Um, and yet, that is the temptation yeah. to treat the Bible that way. Right. To, to, to know a lot about mm -hmm. God. To know a lot about doctrine. 
to know the right answers. Yeah. Um, and that, and if that's all we get out of it, I think we've missed it entirely. Yeah. So, so how, how um, I know you are a huge fan of the church calendar, following the church calendar, so am I. Talk about how following the church calendar mm-hmm. can help us stay in the story. Yeah. Stay in the story and also give God some ways to come into our lives in surprising ways. So to follow the lecture, to follow a common lectionary, and particularly the lectionaries that have been offered to us by our tradition, so the revised common lectionary, the intent of the lectionary, uh, which is a three-day reading schedule, three-year reading schedule that includes for each Sunday a reading from the Old Testament, a reading from the Psalms, a reading from the Gospels, and a reading from the Epistles. Um, the intent of that is to keep us in the larger story of what God's been doing throughout human history and also to keep us to connected to the life of Christ. So there's always Gospel readings because we want to always be connected to the life of Christ and the story of Jesus on this earth and allowing our lives to be shaped by Him. And so I think the reading of a common lectionary or anything that keeps us in the bigger story, so even reading through the Scriptures, can be helpful, although you might get bogged down in Leviticus. I don't know, um, but any way that any way of approaching Scripture that number one keeps us in the big overarching picture of Scripture, the trajectory, the whole trajectory of what God's doing, but also I would say gives us a way for God to come in and say something surprising to us, where we're not always picking what we're going to read because we think that's what we need. And now again, not just at the personal level, but at the level of the community that's gathered. And right. I think that the community following the lectionary means that the pastor has to preach on the hard, on the hard passages. And this last week um, that we just preached, oh. we've joked, we've joked with all the pastors I know about how hard last week's lectionaries Matthew were. Matthew 10. I preached you, it. That yes. was the sermon I was talking about. I was yeah. all, yeah. And we were, we were trying to read them in our own rhythm of using the lectionary for our staff prayer times. And at one point after we had read the Matthew passage that was all about mothers against daughters yeah. and all yeah. that, someone said, thanks be to God for the scripture. And I said, I think. I'm not exactly sure <laughs> if I'm thanking God for the scriptures today. After the person read yeah. the scriptures in our church on yeah. Sunday. And it's then actually awkward because the word it's of the so Lord, awful. Thanks be to God. I actually came up yeah. and said, really? Yeah. Is thanks that, be yeah. to God for that? Right. For that one? Right. Matthew 10? Yeah. So, um, and then the pastors who had to preach, they're like looking through all four yeah. of the choices going, there's nothing, there's nothing there's here, nothing here <laughs> to preach on very well today. So um, it's interesting that that preaching the lectionary or having a church community or any kind of community, like we, we as a staff here in the Transforming Center, follow the lectionary yeah. um, as, as our way of reading scripture. Um, it actually puts you in contact with scriptures you wouldn't choose. Yeah. And it also puts you in contact with scriptures that you might not have chosen at that moment. And yeah. then God says something to you that's really, really striking and p- penetrating because you didn't choose it. And yeah. you know it's from God and that God had that word for you. So... Um, it's a it's it's a it's a way of staying staying in the story and staying very open to what God wants to say. Well, it's it's I, I love that you brought last week up mm-hmm. because I struggled with this yeah. passage that says all these things about mm-hmm. I've come to I've not come yes. to bring peace but a sword mm-hmm. to, yeah. to set mothers Mother against, against their daughters. daughters. And yeah. where, as I sat with mm-hmm. that, what I think God led me to mm-hmm. see was this question of when you're following Jesus. Mm-hmm takes you out of your tribe mm-hmm. that's right that you have lived mm-hmm. in your whole life right it's really painful yeah. and are you able to stand yep. it's about allegiance yeah but i mean ironically when we were reading that we read that passage in, in our staff prayer and my daughter was with us wow. in the room and so it's like that's why i was so aware yeah. of the fact that i don't want that to happen i don't yeah. want mother against daughter no. you know that's why my response was you know yeah 
not really, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, but you're right. It forced you to, rather than dismiss the passage, yeah. to have to go down deeper to what's the deeper meaning here that God does want me to be responding to right now. Oh, so yeah. good, isn't it? Yes. But you're a little out of control also, because if you've committed yourself to working within the lectionary, then you know you're not going to dismiss it. You can't just say, I don't want that one. You know, can you give me a better one, please? Exactly. Reset. (laughs) That's right. We're going to do a series for the next three weeks. That's right. We're going to jump out of the lectionary. We're going to, yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, Steve, I think that one of the reasons why this conversation has been so fun and energizing is because you've just written a book called Whole, in which you also guide people in a process of finding themselves in the biblical stories. So I was wondering if you'd like to say a little bit more about that. I know I'd like to hear more about it. Yeah, so the book is called Whole, Restoring What's Broken in Me, You, and the Entire World. Mm. So oh, yeah, you don't, you don't attempt <laughs> to do very much. I'm yes, you don't Enneagram. attempt to do much. But in the first part, I look at five of the questions that jump out at me from the scriptures. And the first one is the first, the first question that God asks human beings is where are you? Mm-hmm. And he asks it to Adam and Eve after they've sinned. And, and where I go with it is that's such a great question mm-hmm. for them, but it's such a great, it's a haunting question for us. Right. Um, when I hear the question, where are you, Steve, in different, uh, stories mm-hmm. of my life, different episodes yeah. of my life. I, 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 I hear God calling mm-hmm. me back. Yeah. I hear God saying, Hey, um, you're somewhere right now, mm-hmm. but you're not, I can't find you. But I can't find <laughs> yeah. you. And so, so that's the first mm-hmm. question. The second question is, am I my brother's keeper? Mm-hmm. So this is of course the, the yes. question that Cain asks mm-hmm. God when God right. says, Hey, where, where's, where's Abel? Mm-hmm. And the answer, um, God doesn't answer Cain. When Cain says, I, you know, am I my brother's keeper? Mm-hmm. And so now we know we're going to, it's going to take the rest of Genesis mm-hmm. to figure out brothers uh, yeah. with, with, with brothers. And so I have to wrestle with that question of who is my brother? Who is my sister? Do I, am I supposed to guard them? And the mm-hmm. answer, of course, is yes, yeah. actually, mm-hmm. we are. And then the next question is, what are you seeking? Mm-hmm. And this is the question that Joseph gets asked when he, he's the first brother that is seeking his brothers mm-hmm. in all of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Brothers have killed brothers. Brothers have deceived brothers. Mm-hmm. Brothers have manipulated brothers. And Joseph gets sent out, and get this, by his father, who sends him into harm's way, into people who hate him, so that he can see to their wellness, mm-hmm. see to their whole shalom. Mm-hmm. So Joseph, so, so this question, what am mm-hmm. I seeking? And um, I won't go through all the questions, but but where I go with that is mm-hmm. we can when we hear the questions of Scripture, uh, we can find ourselves in the story right. uh, in in such delicious ways yeah. and in different. Uh, I I can hear the question, "Where are you?" Uh, at when I'm 15, mm-hmm. I, I have a different answer than when yeah. I'm 45, mm-hmm. and so those questions can can keep echoing. And yeah. then and then the second part of the book is just taking the journey from. Egypt to the wilderness to mm-hmm. the promised land. So yeah. really, I, I echo what you just said is that, or maybe it was in the last episode, but that there is this continuing cycle of birth, mm-hmm. death, rebirth. And um, so that gets really, really interesting. Uh, so, yeah. Well, that sounds really very exciting. And it reminds me of the place that we've discussed in these episodes where we talk about the fact that the, the most important thing sometimes that can happen in our lives spiritually is to be willing to be asked 
yes. questions, you know, to, to hear the question that God's asking us and to answer as honestly as we can. Yeah. You know, it's, it's surprising the fact that God sometimes leads out his conversations with us with these really penetrating questions and how important it is to be willing to be honest with God when God addresses us with a question, you know. And we typically think, well, Jesus asks all these questions. Yeah. But God really, really does too. In yeah. the Hebrew scriptures, yeah. it's all questions. Right. It's yeah. all questions. Like, like Elijah, what are you doing here, what Elijah? Doing here? Yeah. And yeah. Then, then if we're willing, it, th- there's this, you know, very enlively, enlivening and honest yeah. conversation that can emerge. So I can't wait to read your book. Yay. Sounds awesome. Thank you, Steve. Do you have a prayer to end us with on this um, episode? This is a prayer from Ted Loader, um, a Methodist pastor and someone that I've appreciated the honesty and the, the spiritual depth of his prayers. So this prayer has helped me to listen. Oh, Holy One, I hear and say so many words, yet yours is the word I need. Speak now and help me listen. And if what I hear is silence, let it quiet me, let it disturb me. Let it touch my need, let it break my pride, let it shrink my certainties, let it enlarge my wonder. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We know there are thousands of podcasts out there, and we're grateful that you've spent the last 30 minutes with us. Thanks, Steve, for such great questions and for taking that step of faith to join a transforming community so long ago in 2011. If you're a pastor or a leader who would like to connect your soul with your leadership, please do consider this an invitation to learn more about the Transforming Community, a two-year experience of spiritual formation for leaders. Our experience is grounded in scripture, it is animated by a Trinitarian approach to transformation and community, and it's informed by the richness and diversity of our Christian heritage. If you'd like to learn more, do visit us at transformingcenter.org.